Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. the 31st of March. Um, It is uh, Wednesday of Holy Week. It is Wisdom Wednesday, Witness Wednesday, Winsome Wednesday, right? Like, take advantage of the day that God has given to advance the kingdom in some particular way today. So today is, uh, in my family, um, I mean, this is true in all the world, but only in my family will this probably be acknowledged today. Uh, It's my mom's 83rd birthday. So in our family, we not only celebrate the person, we celebrate the parents of the person, because obviously if there had not been parents, there would not be a child. And it's hard to think of an 83-year-old grandma as a child, but, you know, she was on this day, 83 years ago, the, the brand new baby girl of Holland and Robina Benefield. And so on someone's birthday, we celebrate them, but we also celebrate their parents. And so it's one of those days uh, on which I recognize and acknowledge that I am who I am today in part because of the love that God gave to two people uh, in the generations of my families that precede me. So not only my mom and dad, but their parents and their parents and so on and so on and so on. So I heard an interesting story last week uh, about a person who was researching his family's lineage And the entire discussion, it was a very secular radio program. It was a very secular discussion. Everybody involved seemed completely secular. Um, But the entire conversation revolved around the days, the hours, and even the weeks that these researchers had spent poring over birth, baptism, marriage, and death records in a series of churches in the northeastern United States, uh, in Ukraine, and in modern-day Poland. And as I listened, it occurred to me what a treasure a family has if they have a family Bible that records all of those things, names, dates, places, going back over time, and the reality that lots of us today do not regard our Bible in that way as a place to chronicle the record uh, of our genealogy, of our family, and those um, and those dates, those dates of baptism, those dates of marriage, birth, and death. Uh, And so I thought, um, you know, why is that? Why have we turned to a reliance upon government to keep all of those records that were once the the Provence of the church? And so today, when I talk to my mom, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get, I I actually have our old family Bible, so I'm going to get it out. I'm going to see where all of the, that chronicling ended I'm going to go back with her over what's in there and um, see what things she knows about those people and those stories that I don't know. Um, Because my mom doesn't need a gift in the way that we think about gifts. What she needs is some time, and she loves to talk, 
And her family's history resides largely right now in her memory. And so I'm going to have her tell me, and then I'm going to write some of it down. So my mom is a gift, and on her birthday, I am planning to unwrap another layer of her wit and her wisdom as a woman who is indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, as are you. Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson joins me next. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Daryl Crouch, pastor of the Green Hill Church, uh, incoming director of Everyone's Wilson. You can find them at everyoneswilson.org. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing well. Um, I know that there's just lots of folks listening who don't live in our geography, but um, man, that was quite a uh, quite a storm last night. Um, and we have had a lot of rain over the last few days. Tell me what's going on in in, in terms of response to uh, to flooding. Yeah, so Saturday night we had we had um, over seven inches of rain come in a, a short amount of time. So there was extensive flooding. Uh, there was. Um, a lot of uh, businesses and uh, several a, a number of churches that were affected and um, uh, uh, put out of their space uh, temporarily, and um, and a lot of homes that were affected. And we're still making that assessment. Thankfully, not thankfully for a tornado a, a little over a year ago, but thankfully on the heels of that tornado, we were able to organize. Um, you know, response teams and groups that help uh, with uh, response and recovery. And so those teams are still in place and will be ongoing. And so uh, responsiveness was swift and um, we feel good about all of that. But certainly the people that are displaced are still struggling. So we're just working to make folks whole. I think it's always a good reminder, um, Daryl, that the time to get ready to respond to a natural disaster or um, or an event of violence in your own community um, is not when it happens, but before it happens. Uh, and so I, I appreciate your reminder that, you know, the things that that get put in place uh, need to remain in place and those um, need to be strengthened when times are good so that when the next thing happens, um, we're already you, we're we are more ready to respond than we were the first time. Yeah, we and we can think about this in a macro way, as in uh, big uh, storms like this or uh, natural disasters. Uh, but we can also think of it, Carmen, in a micro way. The the real beauty or the real um, uh, uh, power behind our response, even a year ago, and then again this last weekend, was the relationships that we had with we, one another. Um, uh, pastors and business leaders and government leaders knew each other already. We had invested in a genuine friendship and relationships. We'd been to other events together and meetings together and, and shared meals together. So when the disaster struck, we we didn't have to start from uh, from zero with a relationship. And so um, it's I think it's really important in the micro way that we all ask ourselves, do I know my neighbor? Do I do I know am I uh, as you mentioned earlier before I came on, are, are you are you um, investing in the kingdom today? And, and how is that? Are you investing deeply in relationships? And so um, I would like to say, hey, there's this wonderful thing that we came up with that allows us to respond to these natural disasters quickly. And, and I can, if you'll go to my website, I can show you that and you can buy it for $39.99 and, and have it in your neighborhood as well. 
And that's just not true. It's just about being a neighbor. It's just about loving one another and knowing one another three or four uh, doors down the down the street or the businesses two or three doors down uh, that you know each other and you're sharing this together as you seek uh, in our terminology or really in Jeremiah's terminology, the welfare of the city on an ongoing basis. And so I just cannot overemphasize the power of relationships and friendships in a local community. It is uh, just a wonderful thing and um, it will make the difference when things uh, aren't so great. So a few things I've heard in the last few days that um, I think are a good reminder to us as Christians, this is a little bit different way of having a conversation about the weather. Um, I have heard uh, this is flooding of biblical proportions. This is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, like the days of Noah. Um, uh, you're going to need an ark uh, to get uh, to get around out there today. When you hear clear references to um to biblical stories. I mean, you know, this week it's it's the flood narrative, but on other days it's other stories. Um, are you intentional about sort of helping people, pointing people to the origin story, um, or do you think that's kind of lost in our culture today? Yeah, I, pr- I would like to think I would be more intentional, but it, I've noticed the same thing you have, and and I think people know um, that they have these stories tucked away somewhere in their consciousness. Uh, they may have remembered them, you know, from their childhood when they were going to Sunday school, or they may have heard them in the in the popular culture in some ways. Uh, even entertainers today, uh, movies, uh, music, all of that um, uh, pings off of those themes. And so, I do think it's a it's a reminder uh, to us to um, to take these opportunities to be a a witness. People know. Uh, they know somewhere in there there's common grace uh, that falls on us, and we we have this sense of an otherworldly God that is operating. I do think certainly those narratives are distorted and um, a little bit um, uh, added to and taken from in order uh, to uh, accommodate our particular situation or our particular philosophy of life, uh, whoever we may be. And so it gives it does give believers an opportunity to step into that space and say, you know, I know that this seems like a biblical proportion, but it's really not. And let me tell you uh, what God was doing back then and to, to point us to a Savior whose name is Jesus. And so I, I think to bring hope into those moments, uh, sometimes Christians can be really critical of non-Christians using our language in a way that's inappropriate. And I would just encourage that, listen, if you're using our language in any way, that is an open door to share the goodness of God and the grace of God. And so uh, people, uh, and and the other thing that you've mentioned or that you've alluded to is that disasters bring that out in us. We all of a sudden know that we're not invincible. Uh, I still can't imagine that we're talking about a disease or a pandemic that threatens our lives, that we can't get our arms around. I mean, we knew cancer was a thing that we were still battling and that was affecting people. But the idea of having to wear masks or uh, getting a vaccine in order to stop this deadly virus, uh, who would have thought that two or three years ago? I mean, maybe some were, but most of us weren't in that space. And so I think natural disasters remind us of our invincible, that we're not invincible and that there is a God. We just don't know him very well, and we probably have a distorted view of him. 
Mm, that's so good. All right, I'm talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about good business and how good business does more good than you think. We'll be right back. Whatever you do, just don't Um, who are playing basketball uh, even this weekend are are actually going to go pro in something else. Most people are going to get like, you know, regular jobs. And so we're going to talk about what it means to uh, to go to work and do good business and be a good business person and how much good uh, that really that really does. So, uh, Daryl, you had an opportunity to talk to your local chamber of commerce. First of all, why did you make time to do that? And uh, what did you say? Well, the local chamber of commerce does a lot of good, and we are glad that they exist, and we're glad that the businesses that are representing that group exist. All of us are. If um, if they don't do their job well, I don't get paid, Carmen. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 real brass tacks of it all. Like if if we don't do good business, if our business community doesn't thrive, uh, none of us do very well. And you say, well, that sounds kind of materialistic. Well, we, we are physical people and, and food is really important to us and housing is really important to us and clothes are really important to us. And so these things that uh, sometimes Christians want to put off to the side and say, you know, this is a secular or this is a this is a secular thing and uh, it's separate than my spiritual life. And uh, that really doesn't recognize how uh, we are whole people of body and mind and soul and spirit. And uh, we we. We uh, the whole person is important to us. And so uh, one thing I shared with the the chamber is that when my pantry is is empty, it's not just my stomach that hurts. There's my my heart hurts when I can't feed my kids, my my soul, my my sense of self. um, I'm I'm reaching for uh, who is God. I'm asking that question when uh, my physical needs aren't met or when I'm not able to flourish uh, and provide for my children and for myself, there's a lot of other things going on. And so there is uh, what the Bible or what theologians would, would share with us is common good or common grace. And so I, I think uh, our business leaders uh, and, are, and those that are helping to churn the economy are doing in part God's work. And we, we know it's not in full, so no one is is talking any kind of health, wealth, uh, gospel or even social gospel it is just a reality that that uh, when you're doing good work and uh, providing value for other people that churns the economy, uh, everybody wins. Everybody does a better job. And so uh, I think um, it's important that those business leaders know that uh, I value them and that churches value them and that they have a part to play in what God is doing in our community. Tell us a little bit about what you um, what you said to them in terms of um, not only what they do, but how they take care of themselves, because I thought that was um, particularly important. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, the, um, the the really I don't know, the the personal nature of business. Uh, when when I meet business leaders, uh, they are that are excited about what they do. Uh, they they um, they're giving their all to this. This is uh, who they are. And I know we would say, listen, we want you to have your identity in Christ. And certainly that's that's a, a important part of who we are in, in Christ. But but as business leaders, they are giving 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week to their lives. 
uh, of their lives to this work. And um, it's a big part of who they are. And so my hope is that in that, they will find and experience the grace of God, that uh, their for-profit work is uh, just as important as anybody's nonprofit work. And uh, their for-profit work allows nonprofits to thrive. And their, the, way that, the way that they uh, do their job is really important. But uh, having their lives anchored and rooted in, um, in soul care and uh, in a community of faith and um, nurturing their own lives it's very difficult to do, a, as you know, it's very difficult to do a good job at work uh, when our soul is in a bad place. And mm-hmm. so it's our hope, even with everyone's Wilson, to come beside um, business leaders and first responders and educators and all the rest to to help them uh, become who God wants them to be individually, not just what they're producing, but certainly uh, what they produce comes out of who they are. Okay, can I ask you, um, this is a, like going to seem like a totally random question. So you post your what you write now at com. Does that mean you don't have to like maintain an entire own website? You can just post the stuff you're writing here and it makes it easier? Isn't that is that great? what's going on? Is that what's That's going on what's with going Substack? On. Yeah. Okay. So folks I like, have finally so folks that, like, that actually helps me figure out like why people are moving to Substack. It's because you just want to write stuff and post it. You don't want to maintain a whole website. Exactly. And it's easier Ugh. for you to grab. It's easier for you to access. There's no ads and there's no uh, blog uh, kind of paraphernalia around that. So, yeah, guys like Dan Darling, who you know well, and others uh, put me on to Substack. And it's just easier if I just want to write content and get it to you in a way that you're going to read, just like you would a newspaper back in the day. Um, it's just easier uh, to get it to you. And Substack does a great job of keeping analytics and knowing. I just saw where you uh, subscribed to my news to, to the newsletter. It popped up, and so um, it's just an easier way to uh, build a, a newsletter or an email list rather, and uh, get the information there. And so. Yeah, this particular, I'll use this newsletter to focus on this kind of city transformation work. I Okay, I just, I love that. I love it. I, yeah. I Thank you for explaining to me because, like, I've seen, you know, other people, like, you know, they're migrating away from having their own website or maintaining a website, and they're but they're on Substack. And so I'm like, something's going on here that I need to know about. So thank you. Yeah. There you go. I'm late to the party, but um, it's a— it's, Well, it's a, I'm, not, I'm, not at, I'm not at the party yet, so <laughs> you're, you're ahead of me. So there you go. All right. So, Daryl, thank you, as always, so much. Blessings on your Easter weekend. Um, blessings on your people as you bring the word to them. Um, and let me just say this. There's going to be somebody there. There's going to be somebody there. There's going to be somebody listening. There's going to be somebody watching who does not know that Jesus died for them or that he rose from the dead. Like that is going to be brand new information to somebody who's listening or watching. And I can't wait to hear the feedback of how God changes their life because you're faithful to bring the word. So to you and every other pastor out there, man, just just preach to that target because that's the target audience this weekend, that one person who does not yet know. I just uh, I love you and I love what you're doing. Um, Thanks so much for joining us as always. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. That's Daryl Crouch. He's the pastor at the Green Hill Church. You can find him um, at darylcrouch.substack.com or at everyoneswilson.org. We'll be right back. 
All right, so uh, one of the things that I read every day is what's going on at the Denison Forum. So denisonforum.org. And today at the Denison Forum, you can read uh, stories of good news for the church and the culture, the best way to observe Silent Wednesday. Jim Denison from the Denison Forum is going to be here next. He and I are going to center our conversation on civility and uh, civil engagement in the culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Peer pressure. It's a natural part of life. We face it, and our kids face it too. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The desire to fit in with others isn't relegated to a certain age bracket, and it can be a positive thing, especially when you're surrounded by people who want to do the right thing. But as moms and dads know so well, when our teens surround themselves with friends of questionable character, their convictions get compromised. It's not a conscious choice to disregard your values and priorities. They just desperately want to fit in. As a mom or dad, you need to understand the nature of the battle. Help them find their way in a world that's working against them. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Jim Dennison. You guys need to, if you have not already, checked out what's going on at DennisonForum.org. Um, every single day, there is just great, great content, um, and so I want you to, uh, I want you to check that out. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, so good to be on with you this morning. How are you? I, I am, I am well. It is well with my good. soul. So you know, uh, <laughs> it is I, Holy it, Week, it, isn't it? Amen. Amen. And it's my mom's birthday. So, you know, it's a good day. Well, it's a good day in our go. family. Right. Providential day so, for her and you. A- oh, amen. That's what I led off with. Like, right, today's actually a day I celebrate not only my mom, but my grandma Robina and my grandpa Holland, like on and on and on, right? The generations that's, that's go. That's terrific. Yeah. Um, tell me who Todd Furness is. Tell me what the Civil Discourse podcast is and tell me why Christians need to re-engage in the conversation about civil discourse. Yeah, thanks for asking. Todd Furness is one of the most brilliant men I have ever known. He serves on the board of our ministry, has done that since we were founded 11 years ago. He has a remarkable career himself in, in uh, wealth equity and investment strategies, was at one point in charge of EDS Global. He's just a remarkable global thinker, engaged in healthcare space, recently written a book that would show us how we could reform healthcare in the most effective and efficient manner. So remarkable guy. Has a podcast, asked me to come on to talk about how to engage with the culture in a civil way, as opposed to the incivility that seems to so dominate our conversations today, especially in the conflictual sort of era where we evangelicals find ourselves today. So um, Civil Discourse is is his new podcast. Um, and let me just say, when I say new, I'm the seventh subscriber to the YouTube channel. <laughs> so like, right, it's new. Um, but it's it's fun to listen to something, to a conversation literally from the beginning. And so that's really why I wanted to um, I wanted to tee this up today. You um, joined him for a conversation on his podcast, Civil Discourse. Um, what did you guys talk about and what are you hoping to stimulate? 
Yeah, thank you. What he wanted to do together was find a way that we could model for believers, for evangelical believers, how it is that we can discuss the difficult issues of the day in a way that actually makes progress in a way that actually doesn't just yell at each other or even at the end of the day just agree to disagree, but can we find a new normal? Can we get to a synergistic future? Todd's an attorney by background and by trade, and so the Socratic method of asking questions to come to a better answer, a better outcome, is just kind of um, kind of second nature to him. So what he would like people to do, and this is why I was on the podcast, because I so agree, is he would like us to be in engagement with people with whom we disagree in a proactive way where we could not only find commonality, but we we could find a better future together. How do we move forward on the issues that we're facing today instead of just simply agreeing to disagree as the best outcome? So um, I think that the desire to um, to be to well to respectfully disagree, <clears throat> which by the way is uh, is a topic of Jim's book. Respectfully, I disagree. Mm. Um, uh, t- talk with us about. Sort of how we got to a place of incivility and how it really does affect not only the culture, but us at a like it it makes us kind of gross. Um, And I don't know how else to say that. Right. It tarnishes Mm -hmm. that which is is intended to be pure and glorifying to God. And it's it's definitely a poor witness. So just talk with us a little bit about that. Yeah, you bet. At this point, I get to do a little philosophy. Thank you for that. That's my PhD. I'll try not to labor us uh, too long in those fields. But essentially, there's been for a long time now in the Western culture, this idea that truth is personal, individual, and subjective. Truth is how your mind interprets your senses, and the result is knowledge to you. It goes back to Immanuel Kant and Friedrich Nietzsche and postmodern thinkers. But at the end of the day, we're in this post-truth culture now where you have your truth, I have my truth. You have no right to force your beliefs on me. I have no right to force my beliefs on you. That's what the culture says it believes unless it considers you to be intolerant. So the challenge in that is for somebody who believes in the Great Commission, somebody who believes there is such a thing as objective truth and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that biblical morality is best for all individuals, whether it's abortion or LGBTQ issues or whatever the issue might be. We are now in a conflict with a tolerance-centered post-truth, no such thing as truth culture, on a level that makes us look intolerant, big prejudiced, homophobic, whatever the issue might be. We're unprecedented. That's unprecedented ground for us in America. Never been at this place where a Christian, orthodox, objective morality is seen to be so intolerant and uh, and bigoted and cruel. But that's where we find ourselves at this moment in our cultural history. So one of the things I really appreciated that you wrote about this week um, at denisonforum.org, a stranded megaship and censored Christians, three ways to engage our critics with redemptive truth. Um, Yeah, a week ago, uh, 10 days ago, nobody had heard of the Ever Given. Nobody had ever even heard of Evergreen. We didn't know uh, that that's how lots of us get lots of our products, um, how things move around the world until it all stopped and got stuck. Um, Talk with us about the connection you made to culture engagement. Yeah, thank you. It's kind of a metaphor in a lot of ways. You're exactly right. I'd never heard of a ship this large. It's longer than the Eiffel Tower is tall. If it's loaded, it weighs more than 22 Eiffel Towers. Didn't know such a thing even existed. Turns out there's a whole fleet of ships like this. And so as we know, a week ago Tuesday, it got stuck in the Suez Canal and jammed up global trade, 13% of maritime trade, 10% of seaborne oil shipments come through this canal. And the point that I wanted to make out of that is as impotent as I would have felt standing on 
on the shore of the Suez Canal trying to do something about this mega ship there. That's the way a lot of us feel about the culture. We watch the daily news. We see what's happening out there. We see Satan-themed sneakers making headlines. We know that Jack Phillips, the cake maker, is back in court again. We see the censorship of evangelical content and big tech and all of that. And it's the easiest thing in the world just to withdraw, just to give up, just to say, I'm done. There's nothing I can do, no difference I can make, which is exactly the wrong approach to take. Jesus modeled that on Tuesday of Holy Week when he engaged his critics, when he used reason to defend Revelation, and when he stayed faithful to his Father's call, no matter the outcome, planting trees will never sit under, is how God measures success. I um I love what you're doing this week, by the way, um, walking through the days of Holy Week. And you, you made reference to it right there, just in terms of, you know, lessons that we learn on Holy Tuesday. Um, remind people what happened in the life of Jesus on Holy Tuesday, which would be yesterday, um, because that's where you get this, you know, how to engage critics, um, how to use reason to defend revelation and how to stay faithful, whatever the outcome um, and then after the break, we'll move to Holy Wednesday. How does that sound? Oh, terrific. Yeah, so we have to imagine this as it was in Jesus' day. The Temple Mount, as it is today, certainly not like it was then. I've led more than 30 groups to Israel. We love going there, and we love kind of imagining what it was in Jesus' day. He's in the precincts of the Temple here. This is Tuesday of Passover week, as they would have seen it, Holy Week as we see it. His critics are absolutely desperate. This remarkable movement that Jesus has been leading is coming now to a point. He's had that Palm Sunday. He's had the crowd shouting, Hosanna. The religious authorities are terrified that if this movement continues, the Romans are going to step in and not only uh, stop Jesus' movement, but remove them from their power. So they have to find a way to defeat Jesus in the eyes of the crowd. One of the ways they attempt is this really famous, fascinating exchange where they ask Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, the coin they're talking about on one side has Emperor Tiberius, on the other, the goddess Pax or peace. It's enormously idolatrous. If Jesus says, use it to pay the tax, the crowds will reject him as an idolatrous. If he says no, the Romans will step in and arrest him. So his enemies think they have him figured out. They've got him defeated. They've got this thing stopped. And we know what Jesus said. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, they left him, and they went away. Jesus didn't retreat from the conflict. He used reason to defend revelation. He stood obedient to his father, whatever the cost. And that's the model for us today. Amen. All right, Jim Dennison and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens today, Silent Wednesday of Holy Week. And we're also going to talk about what does the Bible say about Easter? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can find everything we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Um, let's talk about today, which is Silent Wednesday. That's the reason we call it that is that we have no evidence in the Gospels of what Jesus did on this day. We know all about Tuesday. We know this incredibly packed, conflictual day. Obviously, we know Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. We know his body's in the tomb on Saturday and then Easter Sunday. But we call this Silent Wednesday because this is the day when Jesus apparently spent the day in solitude with his disciples at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and Bethany, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, preparing for what's about to happen. Point being, if Jesus needed time alone with 
his father. If Jesus needed a silent Wednesday, how much more do we? And then, Carmen, this is something I hadn't thought about till yesterday. As I was preparing to write the article, I was praying, Lord, what would you have me say about this that would be a new thought? And instantly the thought came to my mind. Jesus spent time with his father, not only because he needed to, but because he wanted to because he wanted to be in the presence of his Lord. And that was conflicting for me. I often, I will confess, pray because I need to. I need God to lead me or help me or forgive me or strengthen me, encourage me. I see my time with him as kind of a transaction. If I do this, God will do this. What he really wants is a transformational relationship centered in love, where we want a silent Wednesday, where we want time with him. That's the invitation today. Mm. So um, what, I mean, you know, you and I are, busy on Silent Wednesday. Most people are busy on Silent Wednesday. How um, how do you encourage people to, to carve out real time, alone, apart, set apart, holy time during Holy Week? It's a great question, and it's a thing we can do every day, and this is a great week to start. Mark one thirty five says, Jesus got up a great while before a day, went to a solitary place, and prayed. My experience has been if I don't do that, if I don't start the day by spending some time alone with God, it's very difficult to get that through the day, and I don't get plugged in at the start of the day, I don't get connected with my Lord, and then everything changes. Ronald Reagan once asked one of the Air Force One pilots why he landed so close to the front of the runway, and the pilot said to him, Mr. President, one of the first things they teach you in flight school is you can't use the runway that's behind you. You can't use the hours that are behind you. So start the day with the Lord. Get alone with him, even if it's 15 minutes, even if you get up 15 minutes earlier. Find a place in your house or where you live that isn't distracting and spend that time just with Jesus. Read a psalm to him. Read his word. Spend some moments listening to his spirit. Spend some moments praying through your day. Connect with Jesus at the start of the day is the best way to start every day. Wow, I just heard an echo of my mom who would often say, you can't land on the runway behind you. So there you go. That's probably where she got that. Um, okay, let's um, let's turn our attention to um, to another resource that you have posted that's just excellent. Um, so if you guys are looking for an equipping resource on, you know, what does the Bible say about Easter? Well, go to denisonforum.org. Was the cross really necessary? What does the Bible say about Easter? Jim? Thank you for that. What I wanted to do was answer the whys. We know the what's. We know what happened. We know even uh, we can explain to a degree that Jesus died for our sins. We know that. Why did he have to die for our sins? Carmen, if you backed into my car in the parking lot, I can forgive you without somebody dying, right? We can forgive each other without somebody having to die. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die on a cross? Why did he have to be born instead of coming into the world at the age of 33? Why was he physically resurrected? Why did all these things happen is really the point of the paper. When we understand the why, I think we're even more grateful for the how and the what, and even more empowered to live in gratitude for the one who died and rose for us. So I have a listener who is wondering, um, did Judas sell Jesus out for seven pieces of this kind of silver? Ah, good question. So far as we know, probably not. The denarius that was used to pay the poll tax was so idolatrous to the Jewish people that they would not have used it unless they had to. So in all likelihood, the 30 pieces that we're speaking of here in the silver would have been a kind of Jewish currency as opposed to the Roman currency. We find a lot of it in the excavations of the Holy Land, and that's kind of how we date an excavation is by the coins we find there and the age of the coins, that sort of thing. So probably not, although it would make an excellent illustration, wouldn't it? Well, it would. So thanks for that question. Um, So um, when we talk about what the Bible uh, says about Easter, 
Um, I think that we are often, um, we often assume that everybody knows the story and Mm -hmm. everybody knows the why behind the what. And so thank you for taking time to walk through some of this. Why, um, why the Easter Bunny? (laughs) Let's start there. And it's a great opportunity to pivot from the culture to Christ. So there are three categories in the world. There's that which is biblical, there's that which is unbiblical, and that which is non-biblical. The Easter Bunny is non-biblical. Certainly not in the Scripture, but at the same time not sinful to have an Easter Bunny. So the Easter Bunny and the egg and all of that has tradition that goes back probably to pre-Christian era, to celebrating spring, celebrating new life, celebrating bunnies because of the new life that they often produce, that sort of thing. So we can use that to teach our children about the new life we find in Christ. We can use the Easter egg to talk about the tomb in which Jesus was was buried, but then came out on the third day like a like a chick comes out of a out of an egg. And we can pivot from cultural issues to Christ issues, from holidays to holy days. And the Easter bunny is a great way to do that. And how about Easter eggs? Yeah, Easter eggs. It's really an interesting thing. I had no idea until I looked into this, the history of Easter eggs. A lot of them go back to the Lenten season, when a person wasn't allowed to eat eggs during the fast of Lent. So as you got closer to the breaking of Lent, then people would start to boil eggs, they would color them, they would decorate them. And then when the Lent, when the Lenten fast was done, they could eat them. So apparently there's a kind of a church history story in the Easter eggs, as well as something that predates all that. And again, for me, it's a marvelous picture of a chick coming out of a tomb, as it were, coming out of an egg. Can't see the chick inside the egg until it breaks out. Can't see Jesus inside that sealed tomb until on Easter Sunday he is risen indeed. So I have a a pragmatic suspicion. So now that we have chickens, if you go 40 days without eating your eggs, you're going to get two complete clutches of chicks because you're gonna let your hens sit on those eggs and you're gonna end up with two full clutches of chicks. And you only get an egg a day from a, from a hen when she has 14 hours of light. And so my guess is that coming out of winter, they were, um, somebody was concerned about there being enough laying hens later on. Um, and so wanted to encourage people to not eat those eggs. And then as there's more and more light, which, you know, this time of year there certainly is, at least in at least where we live, um, they're going to your hens are going to be more prolific egg layers. And so there's going to be a lot more eggs around Easter. There you go. That's I, my pragmatic suspicion as a chicken as now a chicken farmer. There you go. We need more chicken farmers to do theology, don't we? And out of that, I could say, <laughs> we could go with that, couldn't we? We could talk about the multiplying effect of the gospel, how, how uh, chickens lay eggs that lay eggs that lay eggs. We could talk about the degree to which we're supposed to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And all of that could be a chicken farmer theology. I think there's a book in our future here. I, yeah, it, we, it, we could call it like yeah, I don't know. I don't have a name for it yet. But, um, but you know, the, ch- the chicken or the egg, I mean, which was first, is a good uh, conversation as well. I think that people are, like, enamored to even think about, like, okay, so when God created animals, he created them, like, fully formed, fully fashioned, ready to go. It's not like there were a bunch of baby animals and that needed somebody to raise them. They, they, they came fully formed like Adam and Eve. And that's a totally like fascinating creation conversation to have at some point. That really is. And it really does solve the chicken and the egg. At the end of the day, God made the chickens who made the eggs, right? If he'd made the eggs, who would have sat on the eggs to make the chickens? A chicken farmer like you would know that. 
that that's there you go there you go all right um there's so much good stuff in uh in this resource um for you i want you to find it denisonforum.org what does the bible say about easter it's at the banner right at the top of the page today um also everything that jim's doing every single day to bring the gospel to bear to bring the mind of christ to bear on the headline news um he's just doing a great job so you know take advantage of the resources that are offered there Um, And Jim, as always, thanks for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, so glad to be on with you. Thanks for the privilege, my friend. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you to all of you who are texting in your encouraging words about Jim Dennison. Yep, I love him, too. Denison, for those of you who are asking, is spelled D-E-N-I-S-O-N, D-E-N-I-S-O-N, denisonforum.org. All right. um, I have a friend uh, that I grew up with. Her name is Kim. Kim, for a period of time, worked in a hospital in Atlanta. Um, These were back in her, you know, single days. uh, And so she had another co-worker um, and they would go um, running in some of the um, parks around the greater Atlanta area. Um, and they had scheduled to go running on a particular Sunday. And Kim was like, well, that's that's Easter. So I'm I'm actually going to be at worship on that morning. I could meet you later in the day. Or you could come with me to um, to Easter worship. And then we could go running after that. And the friend's like, yeah, sure, I'll come along. So knowing nothing about the church, knowing, I mean, like the church writ large, knowing nothing about the particular church they were visiting. Um, the friend showed up in her running clothes. And um, and so, you know, un, unfazed, uh, Kim and her friend walked into worship and sat down. This woman had never been in a church. She had no idea what Easter was. And as the gospel story was being read at the beginning of the worship service, the story of the resurrection of Jesus, this woman, Kim says, was on the very edge of her seat, on the very edge of the pew. Her eyes were wide. Her jaw was slack. And she turned to Kim and she said, is that true? Is that really true? And Kim smiled and nodded, and the friend explained, exclaimed, y'all should really be telling people about this. Y'all should really be telling people about this. This is Witness Wednesday. Don't assume that other people know what Easter is all about. Don't assume that they know what's going on inside your church. And don't assume that they know what's going, going on inside your redeemed heart and mind. It's Witness Wednesday. Let's be sure that today we don't keep it a secret any longer, but we tell the world who Jesus Christ is and what he has done so that the world might know the love of God for them. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.